Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. Welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast. Today, I have Lizzie Pointer on the podcast talking all about type 1 diabetes, her experience managing it, and how she helps her clients um, manage the symptoms and live a healthy life with type 1 diabetes. So this topic I haven't addressed yet on the podcast. I've spoken about insulin resistance and a little bit about diabetes before, uh, but type 1 and type 2 are very different. So we're going to learn today what are the differences and if there's really anything we can do with type 1 diabetes, especially when it comes to nutrition, because a lot of the time we're told that we can just eat whatever we want, doesn't really matter. Um, but we're gonna debunk those myths today with Lizzie. So I'm really, really excited for you guys to listen and learn all about her experience with type one and how she's really begun to heal her health and manage it in a way that allows her to live a happy, healthy life. So welcome Lizzie on the podcast today. I'm super excited because we're gonna be focusing on specific topic with type 1 diabetes. So I have spoken about, you know, blood sugar balancing, insulin resistance, things like that, but not specifically type 1 diabetes. So I'm really, really excited to dive in this with you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, this is a conversation that I love having. So anytime I get to talk about type 1, I definitely take it. (laughs) So I'm excited. Amazing. So I do know that you have your own story with type 1 diabetes. So I'd love for you to chat a little bit about that and kind of, I guess, the timeline of, you know, your life with type 1 diabetes and how it got you to become a coach today. Yeah. So um, I actually wasn't diagnosed until I was 19. I grew up and had a completely healthy, normal childhood. I competed in gymnastics for 10 years. Um, Literally no signs of being sick or having anything. Um, And I went to college, and my freshman year, my spring semester, I came down with the flu. Again, nothing abnormal. A lot of freshmen have the flu. Um, And about two weeks later, I started noticing weird symptoms. Like, I was always thirsty. I was, it was hard to focus in class. I was always getting up to use the bathroom in the middle of the night. Um, Just really bizarre symptoms and I didn't think anything of it because I had just had the flu so I'm like okay my body's just recovering um and then I started googling which is never (laughs) a good idea um and it kept coming up type 1 diabetes and when I told my parents I'm like okay this is what I'm finding they're like there's no way like it doesn't run in our family there's no history of it um you know there has to be some other explanation but I called the overnight nurse at, at the um, health services on campus, and they were like, okay, get an appointment right in the morning. Actually, don't even make an appointment. Just come in and uh, don't eat or drink anything beforehand. Um, I went in. They did a simple urine test and blood test. My blood sugar was 438, which normal is between like 80 and 120. Um, so they're like, yeah, I think it's safe to say you have type 1. Um, so the first, like the first year or two, I was kind of adjusting, you know, just trying to figure out and navigate life with it. Um, and it took me until my junior year to really say, okay, like this is my life and I'm embracing it and I want to help others with it. And I kind of thought about changing my major to something in the health field, but the whole staying and graduating later kind of deterred me from it. So I stuck through my, uh, 
my major in engineering and graduated in it. But in the meantime, I um, was a president of like the College Diabetes Network on campus, and I tried to get really involved that way. Um, and now I'm two years after graduating, and I'm still like, it's still such an integral part of my life, and I want to help others with it. So I decided to go back to, you know, back to school, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, and become a health coach because I want to help other type one diabetics. That's kind of like how my story uh, led to where it is. Wow, and so I know that type 1 is different from type 2. Um, can you explain a little bit to the listeners what the difference is? Yeah, a lot of people kind of pack in diabetes as one disease, and they're so, type 1 and type 2 are so different. Um, type 1 is your body stops producing insulin, um, so you ha you're insulin dependent your whole life because your pancreas isn't producing it whereas type two is insulin resistance. So your body's still producing it, but it just can't really figure out how to use it correctly. Um, so most people with that can go through lifestyle changes and um, you know reverse it that way, but some do end up becoming insulin dependent. Right, so with type two, it's more about lifestyle. So usually we mm -hmm. see it developing in adults, but we're actually seeing it starting in like teenagers and children, which is pretty scary. Yeah. It kind of says a lot about what's going on with our society and yes. our diet and our lifestyle. Um, but type one, it's not so much lifestyle, is it? And diet related? No, actually the funny thing is it's called juvenile diabetes because at first everyone was being diagnosed so young, but now what they're finding, and it, this could be led up to, you know, just how we're diagnosing patients, but people are being diagnosed as adults and whether this is new or not, um, it's not juvenile diabetes anymore. It's, um, there's like adult onset and um, it's not lifestyle based at all. It's just your autoimmune system, pretty much you, your body attacks itself. So you're left without beta cells that are producing insulin. Right, so then for you, um, what do you say, what can you really attribute to like why you developed type one? Cause you said it didn't, um didn't run in your family? No, no one else in my family has it. Pretty much the, what we narrowed it down to is the fact that my dad has thyroid disease. So there's some kind of autoimmune hereditary influence going on. Um, but we do think that me having the flu my freshman year may have, you know, triggered it. So there's no saying that if I didn't have that flu at that exact time that I wouldn't get it later on. It probably would have happened at some point or another, but they pretty much said, since you had the flu, your body is trying to attack the virus, but instead attack your own body. Interesting. So now you're taking insulin every day? Yep. I'm on an insulin pump, so I get hourly doses, and that pretty much offsets uh, the liver production of glucose. And you take insulin also every time that you eat, or if you just have an abnormal high blood sugar, you take it to correct it. And so when you first got the diagnosis, what did the treatment look like? Is it the same as now? Did it change? I, when they first, when I was first diagnosed, I was on insulin pens rather than the pump. Um, so, I mean, the treatment wasn't different. It was just um, my means of getting insulin were different. But what I found was that I hated taking shots so much that I would avoid eating. So that didn't work out very well. So I Six months in, I went on the insulin pump, and it's just been an absolute game changer. I 
have something that looks like a little remote pretty much and you enter in like how many carbs you're eating and it calculates how much insulin that you need and just deliver, delivers it. Wow, that's amazing. I never heard of that. And how does it deliver it? Um, I have like a little, it's called the Omnipod. So it's like, it looks like a patch on me. And a lot of people actually asked if it's like a nicotine patch and it's not. <laughs> um, and it connects where it, um, it holds up to 200 units of insulin and then it'll deliver it every time I tell it to. And it goes through the skin? Yeah, there's like a little cannula, it's called. It's like a little plastic tube, very tiny. You don't feel it at all. Interesting. Okay, so that's obviously a better alternative than before what you were doing. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> a lot less needles. Oh, 100%, yeah. A lot of people don't like needles. And, I mean, even me, who I don't mind it, like, every day, that's just, yeah, doesn't sound Yeah, a lot of people say, like, when I'm getting blood taken, they're like, oh, you should be used to needles. You're type 1 diabetic. I'm like, I don't care who you are. You're not going to get used to needles. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fun thing to do every single day, I don't think. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and so when you were diagnosed or even now, is there a strong emphasis on diet, especially in the conventional yeah. world? Well, the funny thing is when I was diagnosed, I kept asking my doctor, I'm like, what can I eat and what can I eat? And they said, Lizzie, you can eat whatever you want. You're just acting like you are now your pancreas. You're acting on behalf of your pancreas. So while that's technically true, I do think that there's, you have to watch what you eat. So like we, um, when you're type one diabetic and you're giving yourself insulin, we use a method called carb counting. We're essentially just counting all the carbs on our plate and accounting for those to account for how much insulin that we need. Um, and then of course your protein and fat content do play a part protein not so much but your fat content if it's too high over a few hours you can have a delayed um high blood sugar a delayed spike um so they started off telling me you know you can eat whatever you want so i did in college i would get a coffee and bagel every morning from starbucks and ate at the dining hall and i it didn't matter i you know i, I lived my life as i was doing and now um as i I'm kind of learning more about a holistic approach. I'm understanding how food really plays a role in your body. And I was also diagnosed with ulcerative colitis last year. So that's obviously helped me figure all that out. Um, but just because you're, you're type 1 diabetic and can eat whatever you want technically, it doesn't mean that inflammation is not a factor. Totally. And we're going to talk a little bit more about food later because it's yeah, my favorite topic. Um, of course. But first I wanted to see, so basically what differs between type 1 and type 2 is mostly what type 1 is not curable, correct? Type 1 is not, yeah, there's no cure right now. So it's a lifelong condition. Um, mm -hmm. And so obviously type 2, it's going to be more about lifestyle and diet factors, other things as well. But we're focusing on type 1 today. Um, so how has food really changed? Because um, I know you were saying like you were following the standard American diet at the beginning, um, just living your life as usual, taking the insulin. But have you seen a difference when you switched into a more whole foods approach? 100%. So um, let me put it into kind of a perspective. Last year, I was living in Miami, where the diet is primarily, it's Cuban. Um, so it's a lot of fried food. And that's when I that's before I really understood what my diet was doing to my body. So 
My A1C at that point, which is your average blood sugar over the course of three months, was a 7.1, which isn't necessarily bad. Like I was doing my part, I was taking my insulin, I was I was monitoring, but um, now that I've taken a more holistic approach and integrated more whole foods into my diet, um, my A1C is a 5.7, which the lower, the better when you're, so you want a lower A1C as long as you're not having too many low glucose glucoses to like offset that average. So you want a tighter line, if that made sense. And I, I learned contribute that to the whole foods that I'm putting into my diet. Wow. And so like, what kind of changes did you make specifically? Um, for the most part, just learning to <laughs> cook in my own home. That was a huge part. So like every Sunday I try to do as much meal prepping as I can. Um, and then every night I prep for the next day. So instead of eating out, I always have my homemade lunch. Um, actually people at work like always make fun of me now they're like oh you always pack so much food but I'm like I know it works for my body so why would I try and you know ruin that just to go out to lunch and I'm saving more money that way anyway um so that was a huge thing for me and just kind of with the ulcerative colitis I had to figure out what worked for my stomach as well so that was a big transition um but figuring that out together like how to reduce the inflammation in my body while figuring out what foods were best for my blood sugars has played such a huge role in my diabetes management and obviously my like ulcerative colitis management. And so when you eat a food, um, can you, do you also check like postprandial like glucose and insulin, like what it, how the food affects you? Yeah. Do you do that as well? Yeah, of course. The tough part with that, well, so I wear um, a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor. So it'll pretty much alert me when my blood sugar is too high or too low, and it gives me my reading every five minutes, which is a game changer if you're wow, type yeah. Um, But yeah, so I try and check my blood sugars about two hours after I eat because the hard part with taking uh, synthetic insulin is it's not working as fast as your body's insulin, like your body's natural insulin. Your body's natural insulin works right away, but synthetic insulin takes between like a half an hour and two hours to really work. And it does mean it's still in your system for up to like four hours. So it might not work right away. So you don't want to look at your blood sugars right after you eat because that's giving you, it's not giving you the right information. Right. And so have you noticed certain foods like worsen it? Like insulin spiking foods are some foods that like make you really like low, like blood sugar crashes and things like that. Have you noticed specific foods? So, um, for the most part, like I used to eat primarily just very carby, carb heavy meals, which that will spike your blood sugar right away. Um, they're very fast acting, but now that I'm trying to integrate more protein and fat, um, that's helped kind of balance it out and slow down the digestion. I will say when I eat things higher in fat, I usually see a drop first and then a like a spike about two or three hours later because your insulin's working faster than your digestion in that in that point right totally so it's sense. funny like I, yeah when i'm eating like ice cream it you wouldn't think you think oh like that'll cause your blood sugar to go high but i always see a low blood sugar first and then overnight i'll see that spike interesting yeah. and so do you see a lot of clients with 
type 1 um, diabetes come to you for help, um, especially after seeing their doctors? Yeah, the hard thing about seeing your endocrinologist is that you see them every three months and there's nothing in between to hold you accountable. So they get, they see their endocrinologist and they briefly go through their numbers and they ask them about a very specific high blood sugar where you don't remember what day that was, what caused it, you know, you don't remember that specific point in time. Um, so they'll give them some vague answers and then leave them until the next three months where they're still battling this roller coaster in between and they pretty much are just as confused as they were before the appointment. So when clients come to me, um, it's pretty much, I'm on this roller coaster of blood, high and low blood sugars, how do I get off of it? <laughs> Which is really hard when you're trying to accommodate your life in between, like your job or going to school or just trying to have a social life. Um, so what we do is we try to navigate those experiences and make them as seamless as possible because I don't believe in restriction. I believe in living your life and making diabetes work in between. Diabetes shouldn't be at the forefront. It should be on the side where like you're working with it and it's not taking over your life. Totally. I think that's where a coach is so important because it is the day-to-day -day changes and it's like even navigating a new diet, um, lifestyle and all of that, um, making these changes, actually trying to figure out like what's making me worse, what's making me feel better, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, check-ins once a month or every three months or whatever is just not enough and especially like there's yeah. things that come up and like you said, we just forget about things, right? So, and then there's the emotional component and the mindset, which oh, is absolutely. really important as well, right? Yeah, so many diabetics go through burnout, whether, you know, the frequency depends on the person, but when you're going through burnout, you don't want to do anything. You don't want carb count. You don't want to take the injection or change your insulin pump. You're just, you get tired of having to do this all the time. So it's a really, it's a 24-7 disease. There's not a minute that you get a break. So a lot of people go through burnout and your doctors aren't accounting for that. They don't really, as much as they understand it, they're looking at the science, they're looking at the data. Totally. And so what, what stage do you usually see clients come to you at? Is it like the beginning stage or like they're completely like after a few years of dealing with this, like they just don't feel better or they're burnt out or whatever. What do they usually see them come to you at? Is there a, like, is it all over the place or do you see like more of one or the other? It's definitely a mix. Like people who are just diagnosed within the year, they're still trying to navigate it within their day-to-day -day life. But then there are people who have had it for 20 years who are coming to me and they're saying, I still don't have a hold of this. So yeah, it's kind of, it's a big mix. And what are the core foundations that you teach your clients when it comes to understanding how to manage type 1 diabetes? Yeah, so... <laughs> I mean, our medication has such an integral part in our blood sugars, you know, navigating the insulin dosage, but I try and really let them see the lifestyle um, patterns as well. So, you know, people don't understand really how much the role of internal and external stress, how much that impacts your blood sugars. So we try and go in and navigate those patterns. And from there, we make lifestyle changes. So many people try and go zero to 100 when they're trying to figure out you know, or when they're trying to, you know, change your diet or implement an exercise routine. And when you're doing that, it's not sustainable. So what we do is we try and find specific patterns. And from there, we're making two to three, you know, changes a week, nothing drastic, checking in, seeing how it makes them feel, and taking that approach to make sustainable changes rather than overwhelming their mind and body, because you're just in a burnout at that point.
Totally. So it's really like the small baby steps, the foundational kind of lifestyle diet changes, even just, you know, moving away from the packaged foods and the stress and all of that. Um, oh, yeah. What I do with my coaching too, it's really understanding like the foundations first and then getting into the nitty gritty. But yeah, mm-hmm. if we overwhelm people, then it's just not sustainable, right? Yeah, exactly. And a lot of coaches too, they just kind of try and tell their clients what to do, but if they're not understanding why they're doing it, or understanding their own patterns first, what is that doing for them? You have to educate them and make them understand what, you know, what their patterns are now and why that's making their body feel the way it is. And then moving from there and educating them and helping them along the way. A hundred percent. Cause I think a lot of us, you know, we know what we should be doing, but if we don't have a big enough why, or if we don't actually understand why we're doing it, then it's like really hard to stick to. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to stay away from the junk food and the sugar and everything. But if we actually understand like what that's doing in our bodies and it's how it's making us feel, then it's so much easier to be like, actually, I don't want that stuff. I just want to like feel good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really important in that case. I mean, I believe heavily in the 80, 20 rule, like 80%, you know, clean home cooked meals and then 20% live your life um but like in the past month I've been finding myself stopping in my tracks when I'm reaching for like a bag of chips or something and just saying why am I reaching for this is it out of boredom or out of a craving or like what's the deeper root of this craving rather than does my body really want this and it's really it's interesting when you start thinking that way how your patterns change that's so powerful. That's such a powerful question to ask because a lot of the time, like I'll ask myself, like, will I feel better after eating this or will I not? And then usually you know exactly how you're going to feel. Yeah. And you're like, do I want to go there? And I know there's going to be, you know, like feeling bloated or spacey or brain fog or just are the guilt and things like that, you know, like obviously, yeah, 100% 80-20 rule. I think that's important because um, just being too strict is also that goes a whole other into a whole other direction of, you know, disordered eating and stress and all that. Um, But yeah, it really is important to understand like what it actually is doing physically inside of your body and then understanding, okay, why am I feeling like this? Because a lot of the time when we do clean up our diet and we address the emotional baggage and the mindset, we end up not really craving those foods anymore, you know? Yeah. Because you're taking care of the root problem. Exactly. So we don't need to focus on food as the coping mechanism. That's a whole other topic, but I know, I know. It is something to pay attention to, and it is part of like a good protocol as well. Um, but another thing, of course, foods affect our blood sugar. We know that. But what about exercise? What have you found with that? Yeah, exercise is another huge thing. It's so important for insulin sensitivity because, in the long term, pretty much um, the more you're moving your body, the more insulin sensitive that you're going to be. But a lot of people also get discouraged because different exercises will affect your blood sugars in different way, ways. So, for example, like anaerobic exercises such as weightlifting or HIT or um, sprints, all of those things that are pushing your body in that um, pushing your body in that way, those are going to raise your blood sugars. And then people start to think, well, if this is raising my blood sugar. What's the point? But um, that will actually increase. Like the more your muscle the more muscle mass you have and the more you're increasing your muscles, the more insulin sensitive you're going to be in the end. But also when you're doing more like um, aerobic exercise, like walking or jogging or, you know, steady state exercise, those lower your blood sugars. So people go to the gym and they start running on the treadmill 
and they have a low blood sugar and they have to drink a juice or eat a snack and they're like, well, I'm just consuming the calories that I was just trying to burn. What's the point? So a lot of people go through burnout in that way also, which is you have to find the right balance for it to balance your blood sugars in the best way possible, pretty much. Yeah. So do you have a, like a regimen or a protocol when it comes to your exercise? Yeah, I always strength condition first. Um, I do about two to three uh, lifts, and usually I see a, a small spike in my blood sugar, and then from there I do more higher reps. So I'll do like lighter weights, higher reps, and if my blood sugar is still high, which usually it doesn't go too high, it just kind of might raise a little bit, then I'll end with um, I'll end with my cardio or my like circuit style training. And so that really has helped you with your insulin as well? Yeah, I, my, so I always work out around 5 p.m., which is right before dinner. So I've noticed that when I work out in that style before dinner, my carb sensitivity is so much, hold on, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. (laughs) My insulin sensitivity is a lot higher, so I can eat more carbs without feeling the effects of a high blood sugar. Right. Yeah. So the timing of when you do your exercise and like carb cycling is also something that can help. So if you do plan on eating more carb heavy foods at a certain meal, then doing exercise before that is going to be more helpful. Do you find it doesn't matter if it's cardio or strength training or is there one or the other that's better? Um, In the case of wanting to increase your insulin sensitivity, I always recommend strength strength training. I think cardio is a great tool for when you already have, when you already have the high blood sugar because it will bring it down. But if you're looking at a 24 hour perspective, I think strength training is always the way to go because that's what's going to get you the insulin sensitivity, your increase your insulin sensitivity long term. And what about post, um, meals because they say a lot of the time you should go walk after a meal to kind of help with the insulin and the glucose spike do you find that's also helpful oh definitely if you're eating especially a carb heavy meal and you're noticing that your insulin's not your insulin's not working fast enough to keep up going for a walk will make your insulin work faster and bring down your blood sugar in the process the only hard part with that is trying to find the right length or um the right amount to do so that you're not fighting a low blood sugar later. So it's all about balance. Always balance. So mm-hmm. exercise, managing the stress, you know, focusing on mindset, emotional health, mm-hmm. um, and then the nutrition, obviously. Those are all core foundations. Mm-hmm. Do you have any recommendations for somebody? Like, did you find, did you like find that you had any symptoms uh, before you were diagnosed, maybe like symptoms of not being able to handle sugar properly or being hangry all the time or like brain fog. Did you have any of those symptoms before being diagnosed? Oh yeah. The, the, so for those like two to three weeks when I was first noticing the symptoms, it was the brain fog was so heavy. I remember sitting in front of my physics exam and I like, I could see it, but I couldn't see it, you know, like nothing from the paper was like translating to my mind. Um, and I also noticed in that time I would wake up and I'm not much of a juice person. I've never really liked a lot of sweets, but I noticed that I would crave orange juice, which is very, very weird for me. So I would go to the dining hall, buy a container of orange juice and chug it because my body wasn't getting the sugar into my cells. So I was craving it more. Um, so those two things. And then again, just noticing like 
I was peeing probably every hour, <laughs> even overnight. And my body was, I was always thirsty. Um, I was just not feeling myself. And so in this, if somebody is feeling like they have some symptoms like these, mm -hmm. uh, what kind of tests would you recommend? Um, there's probably three main tests that you want to do. First, an immediate blood sugar um, finger stick test. That'll give you your blood sugar at, right at the moment um, in time, in, in real time. And then second, you want to check for ketones because that can be a sign of um, ketoacidosis, DKA, which you don't want to be in. Um, and three, your A1C, which is your uh, three-month average blood sugar test, and that will tell you if that's too elevated, that will pretty much tell you that you're more than likely type 1. Awesome. So that would be probably the first place to start then. Yep, absolutely. Amazing. So thank you so much for this. This has been so insightful, and I'm sure my listeners have really loved it as well, especially if they are dealing with any blood sugar issues. Um, and even if you don't have type 1, a lot of this stuff does apply to the majority of people because it's pretty mm -hmm. rare to actually have stable blood sugar these days so yeah. definitely something to you know take into account even if you don't have type 1 specifically mm -hmm. uh, but I would love to hear about what you're doing now where we can find you um, for you to share with us like what's going on in your world yeah so um, on Instagram I'm at needles and spoons underscore um, that name comes from two main things that save my life every day, which is needles, obviously, for type 1 diabetes, and spoon after the spoon theory. Um, that's pretty much describing how um, chronic people with chronic illnesses may have to manage their energy levels. Um, so you can find me there on Instagram. I actually just launched today my group coaching program for type 1 diabetics, and it's an eight-week hosted style reset. Um, so I'm taking applications now, and that can be found on needlesandspoons.com. Amazing. I love the name and congratulations on your launch. I will definitely put all the links in the show notes so that we can check it out. And thank you again so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure to have you. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. This is awesome. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, if you do enjoy an episode, if you find that it helps you, that you're learning something new, uh, that you feel inspired, that you think it could help anybody else, I always appreciate any review you can leave on iTunes. This helps share the podcast with more people who need it. So all you have to do is go on iTunes, the iTunes app, and write a review. Um, and a star rating and submit it. Super, super easy if you don't know how to do it. Google it, it's really easy to do. Um, takes like 30 seconds and it really does make a big difference. So thank you so much for your support and we will be here again next week for our next episode.